Hi, everybody, and welcome to Keep Em Flying, a Firefly podcast, in which we go over the very, very long and storied history of the show Firefly. My name is Paul Spataro. I am joined, as ever, by Mr. Tickety Boo himself, Andrew Leyland. Hello, everybody. And we are joined by our cohort, Dr. William Robinson. I'm just wild about saffron. <laughs> She's just wild about me. Hello. And today we are covering the episode Our Mrs. Reynolds. And if you don't didn't get Bill's reference there, Our Mrs. Reynolds in the episode's name is Saffron. Very, very clever. Thank you. We don't we don't get that that's a real name. Well, that's the name she gives. That's the only yeah. name we have for now. Now is it is? Isn't saffron kind of like a sickeningly sweet spice? Yeah, I think so. So it's it's kind of a, a clever name for her. Because she's kind of sickeningly sweet in her persona. In the early days. As presented, and, yeah, before. Well, yep. we'll get into the episode in a moment. And I think the name Saffron, for some reason, it just clicks with a redhead for, for me. I don't know. It just, it just, it, it worked. I think it may be red. I'm not oh, sure. Could be. Could be. What's been happening with you guys? Any any news since our last episode? Anything going on? This just in: no new Firefly news. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I have I have, I have I have Firefly news. Oh, oh go on. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Benny from LA Law, who was on was on. Uh, oh, was on. Mm-hmm. He he passed away this week. What? Oh, the shame. If he, uh, oh. I can't all of a sudden I can't think of what his name is. Benny. Uh, no. No, 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 not Larry Benny. Drake. Yes, Larry Drake. That's it. Aww. Yeah, he passed away this week. Yeah, there was so a few. If people they do do a Firefly it. reunion. He's out. Hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine he was high on the list of people to bring back. <laughs> In fact, he was the only one they re-signed. <laughs> they couldn't get anybody else so, to, to sign a contract. You know, it's sad though. Hmm. Because he was very good in LLR and Dr. Giggles. Dr. Giggles was big. Don't forget Darkman. Darkman, yeah. I was just going to say Darkman. I, I, I think it came up when we actually covered the episode with him in. But when he was on LA Law, I thought they actually hired an actor with a disability. He played the disability so well that I thought he really was disabled. Didn't he win an Emmy for that? I think he may have. So, yeah, oh, that's a shame. I like Larry Jack. Yeah, I don't think he was that old. I think he was in his late 60s. So, that's a shame. We've lost another one. Mm, That's very sad. There's no Firefly news, unless you count the rumors of a reunion. Well, I think we can start every episode with the rumors of a reunion. (laughs) There always will be... Oh, yeah. Are we going to end this run by covering that episode of Castle where he dresses up as Mal for Halloween? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, you know what? I've never watched an episode of Castle, so I, you know we we can cover that. I, <laughs> we we, we, would, we wouldn't have to do the entire episode; just do the pre-credit sequence where he's dressing for Halloween. And he is Mal Reynolds. Well, we could even well, do the, we, they we, don't we, actually call him that, presumably for right, copyright right. reasons. He's just called Space Cowboy, and uh, Alexis says to him, "Didn't you dress like this five years ago? You need to let it go, Dad." And he's like, "Never." <laughs> He was on a show. I'm trying to think if it was the Big Bang Theory or something else, but he was on a show where 
they see him like in a coffee bar or something and recognize him. And then he finally says, yeah, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Nathan Fillion or whatever. And it turns out he's not. He's just a guy who looks like Nathan Fillion or something, something along those lines. But he, he pretends like he's being, you know, shy about it. But then it's not really not even him. Anyway. I don't watch enough Big Bang Theory to know. So very few people on this network do. <laughs> I don't dislike Big Bang Theory. I think it started off quite well. I do think there came a certain point, though, where they started to be a little bit more malicious in the in their targets. And that's when I started losing interest in it. Well, I think like many sitcoms, I, and I've, I still generally watch it, but like many sitcoms, it's kind of run its course as far as creative juices go. Mm. And, and they're not really being particularly clever anymore. So, you know, it's, what's it in now? Is it in its like fifth or sixth year now? Oh, I think, it's, I think it's like in its eighth or ninth. Oh, right. OK. Well, I've not watched it for a while. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's at the point where it's like, OK, let's, you know, let's introduce a baby into the series because, you know, or, or is Cousin Oliver available? Because we have to do something to bring some life to this show. Uh, All right. Is baby. one of them pregnant? Uh, actually, one of them is on the show. Okay. So, you know, that's that's where you go. After, after a while, you know, you start running out of stuff. Oh, let's marry off these people. Let's bring uh, in a new character. Let's have just, a baby. Now it's just too close to real life. <laughs> now I really don't. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah. Been well, there, done yeah. that three times. Well, you know what? Instead of playing the usual stereotype, it is closer to real life because, you know, as geeks, the stereotype is you live in your parents' basement and you never get married. The reality is all of us, you know, not all of us, but most of us actually do go out and get married at some point in our lives. And on the show, they are. Hold on. Hold on. Mom, leave me alone. I'm doing a podcast. Okay. All right. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you just ticked all the boxes. Uh, Bill. <laughs> it's, as, as, as you can hear, we have Rupert Pupkin in here with us. Is that in your repertoire, Robert De Niro? <laughs> uh, that's that's one of my favorite things is when he's recording. He's doing his version of the Tonight Show, mm-hmm. and his mother mother interferes, and he's like, "Ma!" <laughs> what is he? He's got to be like forty five years old in that movie. Okay, so enough King of Comedy. <laughs> well, this is not a King of Comedy podcast. No, it isn't. That wouldn't be a very long lived show, I don't think. Well, it's not going to be a very long-lived show anyway. No, it's going to be longer than that. Hey, you I, know if we want a long-lived show, we'll have to cover Supernatural. Oh, my God. Currently yeah. going into its 12th season. And now, I started one... watching, actually, full-time in the 11th season. This current season was when I started watching show to show. I watched at the beginning, the first like two or three episodes, and I don't know, stuff happened. But then my daughter started to watch it, and I've like watched. I've, I've come in, and I've got enough of the story that I'm like, okay, I can come in on season eleven. Yeah, like I'm gonna have time to go back and watch this whole thing. But yeah, if you guys want to do a podcast, uh, yeah, I'm sure diabetes will kill me by the end of it. So is that a, is that a show that's overstayed its welcome, or is it still creative? No, I I think it it overstayed its welcome around season seven, and then has managed to come back around again. I still thoroughly enjoy Supernatural. And so does Ange. I mean, that does happen. Some, it's. I think that's a rarity. It's definitely the exception to the rule. But some shows do rekindle the creative juices after kind of losing it a little. But for the most part, once they lose it, it's kind of done. 
And what's weird I is like... one of the guys was on Gilmore Girls. Yeah, Jared Padalecki was on Gilmore Girls and will be again. Ooh. I thought I thought Smallville overstayed its welcome. Well, the thing with Smallville, though, is it had a definitive end point. And as you were watching it, you were waiting for that end mm. point. And the more they put that off, the more you start rolling your eyes. Supernatural doesn't have an end point. Supernatural can go on forever. So can Gilmore Girls. She will get Lorelei will never stop being Rory's mum. So the, the story could go on forever. Whereas Smallville has at some point he has to become Superman. And that's the end of the show. It's almost, almost – remember the episode – the issue of Action, Action Comics where he's got the gray hair at the temples and he's sitting in a wheelchair? Hmm. That's, it's almost like by the time they got to the point of him becoming Superman, that's the Superman he became. Yeah, which is a so shame because some of the, the later episodes of Smallville were better than the early ones. But you were at the point where why is he not Superman yet? I, uh, I, I fell out of the show and I continued to watch it, but I, my interest in it waned. Uh, at the point when they killed off Jonathan. I'm exactly the same. Mm. And I tended to only come back when Erica Durant's had a prominent role. Or when they did, like, you know, when they, when he met the Justice League, or the version of the Justice League. When they did episodes like that, I'd come back. Yes, especially but, when she when she played a stripper. Oh, sorry. Well, I, I, I don't know what the appeal of that episode was. I honestly can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, like, I liked Erica Durant's general as Lois Lane. I'm a little surprised she hasn't done something since the series ended that I've seen. You know, I mean, uh, whatever she's done, I haven't she's seen. In a, she's, she's in a, in a show, show right now. Yeah. What's she in? Yeah, she is in a show right now. I've no idea. It's some Canadian one. Yeah, it's it's on like the Ion Network. It's uh, oh, she needs to be in a show that normal American people. She's do. got the uh, <laughs> the guy that was in. Does that mean uh, I can't watch it? No. In Stargate <laughs> SG One, the guy that played Daniel Jackson, my, uh, my, Michael Shanks, Michael he's Shanks. in it. He's like, a, like a, he's in a coma and he's walking around the hospital. He's talking to other like people that are in a coma or have died. Saving I remember when I was in a coma, hope. walking around the hospital. Saving Hope. Saving that, Hope. That's, okay, that's, yeah. According to IMDb, plays Dr. Alex Reed, and she's been doing that since 2012. So it's in its fourth season. So. Yeah, because my daughter told told me about it, and and if I'm like, hey, that's the guy from from Stargate, and she's like, what? I'm like, never mind. So she pretty she's, much went she's straight the main, into she's that. She's the from main Smallville. character in it. Yeah, yeah, she is. Huh, look at that. She, she's how, she's how, top build. How ignorant I am. All right, so I have never seen this show, but no, fair play yeah. to Erica Durant for for having a career post Smallville, something Tom Welling apparently hasn't managed to do. Ooh, Which burn. is a shame because I thought he was good on Smallville. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't think they're wrong with Tom Welling. I think Tom Welling's fine. Well, he he had a career prior to Smallville. I mean, uh, he was in what the some of those um, oh, <laughs> Steve Martin movies with like the big family. Uh, yeah, the, the, cheaper, cheaper by, by the, the dozen, dozen is that? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's Watson. He didn't need to because Smallville paid him so much money to come back for season 10 and then he got a divorce and suddenly he's out working again. I don't know if there's a correlation though. <laughs> Just saying. Not that anybody on this podcast would know. <laughs> <laughs> <You're okay. laughs> anyway, we're not, we're not doing the, the Erica Durant podcast. I got divorced now. I'm out podcasting again. <laughs> wow you how many podcasts do you have to do paul wow to, to pay off my child support i have to do a hell of a lot more than i did <laughs> no wonder you called the producer 
Mad annoying. Anyway. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. She's so annoying. Anyway. I have to edit this shit. Yeah. We could we could leave out my divorce. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. But all the women listening, I I'm taken. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> You know, you don't have to worry about me coming over there and, t- and snatching Angela or Jen from you. <laughs> Could you please? <laughs> Ooh, sorry. Good thing oh. she's asleep. Anyway, I, I think I'm, actually I think that's why you don't listen to the show because you're afraid Angela will fall in love with me. I, I those, think that's exactly what it is. With those dulcet tones. But he this, is the this bear- segues perfectly into our Mrs. Reynolds. That oh, is true. I was going to say Paul is the Barry White of podcasting. Him, <laughs> him and Jim Deeds. Singing over your love, baby. Oh, the hippopotamus of love. So we're covering <laughs> our Mrs. Reynolds. He said, trying to bring the show our back Mrs. Reynolds, to the topic. which is episode six of Firefly, directed. Oh, by... is that, are we halfway through that? It puts oh, right oh. about the halfway mark. Yeah. Which is, uh, or it's directed by Vandy Curtis Hall, written by Joss Whedon, and it was originally aired on October fourth, two thousand and two. It's hard to this was fourteen, almost fourteen years ago. Mm-hmm. And, the and it features four. guest actors Christina Hendricks, Benito Martinez, and Eric Pasoja. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but his probably not. If he his guest to spot is minor enough that who cares? Yeah. And the plot goes something like this. A covered wagon makes its way through a shallow river when a band of men on horseback stops it to demand its cargo. The driver, Jane, and his wife, Mal, put their weapons on the bandits and quickly defeat them with the help of Zoe. At a celebration party that night, Mal dances with a beautiful young woman who gives him a wreath and wine as an old man gives Jane a rain stick made from wood. After Serenity is underway again, Mal encounters the young woman in the cargo bay. She informs him that she is now his wife. Zoe calls the entire crew down to enjoy the moment. Shepard Book reads up on the local customs and informs Mal that he has taken part in a marriage ritual by accepting a wreath of flowers, drinking of her wine, and dancing together. It's the marriage ceremony of triumph, settlers. Mal has a heart-to-heart talk with a woman who identifies herself as Saffron. Despite Mal's encouragement to be her own woman, Saffron cooks him a meal as Zoe looks on in mocking disbelief. After eating, Mal escapes and offers to have his feet washed and visits Inara, who also shows contempt for Mal's treatment of the situation. Jane attempts to trade his favorite gun, named Vera, for Saffron, but Mal turns him down. Zoe and Wash continue to argue about Saffron. When Mal enters his quarters later, he is seduced by Saffron, whose lipstick contains a narcotic. As Mal succumbs to unconsciousness, Saffron tries her wiles on Wash, who is in the cockpit. After trying unsuccessfully to seduce Wash, Saffron knocks him out with a kick to the back of his head. She subsequently takes control of the ship, welding the door shut behind her as she leaves. Running to a shuttle to escape, she meets Anara and tries to seduce her too. Anara plays along with her to try to get her to, to her shuttle, but the alarm goes off and Anara remarks how skillful Saffron is at lying. 
After dodging a kick from Saffron, Anara rushes to Mal after Saffron says she is Malcolm Reynolds' widow. After Anara finds him alive but unconscious, she kisses him, then collapses soon after calling for help, sharing Mal's moment of weakness. After breaking into the bridge, Kaylee and Marsh find that the ship is headed straight for an electric net. Book explains, with a mysterious knowledge of criminal activity, that the net will restrain the craft, but kill everyone inside. Jane shoots the structure with his favorite gun, shorting it out, and Serenity passes through the net unharmed. After disabling the net, Jane fires at the window of the net's crew compartment, causing it to rupture and killing the net's two operators. Later, on a snowy world, Mal bursts into Saffron's cabin, and after an unsuccessful attempt to get some answers, knocks her unconscious. Back on Serenity, Mal presses Inara for an explanation of her supposed dizziness. Inara thinks Mal knows about the kiss and agrees to not play with him, but Mal thinks she's admitting to kissing Saffron. <laughs> and and while you know, kind of had that little jokey Star Trek ending, I kind of felt that this episode played like a solid, you know, a really good episode of TNG. That's the feeling I had throughout it. Like I could easily have seen this same script with uh, with Riker being the well. This is almost person they go after. Because they took on like a uh, what that one time they took on the underdeveloped people that were like Irish settlers, and there was that was awful, right? But but it was kind of like the same scenario to where you know the woman was coming on to Riker and you know she was scantily dressed and you know so yeah it's almost parallels one of those episodes yeah but but, but that's much it, better it played like a good episode <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> not a bad one yeah. But it, it had that feel about it. The, the crew felt, it, it, you know, we're six episodes in, and, you know, as, as we've talked about, I'm watching this as we go along. I'm not ahead on it. I never watched this before. I'm just watching the episodes that we're covering when we're ready to cover them. And now the show has this sense of familiarity to the crew. Everybody's personality has pretty much been established, and you can do an episode like this. And this this was kind of, you know, a ru- not a run-of-the-mill, but a... a you know, a one-and-done episode with not a lot of long-reaching repercussions, not a lot of world-building. You know, you had character moments in it, but it wasn't, you know, an, an earth-shattering or, or groundbreaking episode, but very entertaining. And like I said, there's this sense of familiarity to it now that it took a couple of episodes to get, but we're there. And and at least that's the way it felt to me. And, and I- just... Just I could sit back and just enjoy this, and that's what I did. I think there's a lot of character development in this, with just little scenes with how each character reacts to the situation with with Mao. On the other hand, I think they're kind of really brutal with him, that they're not really giving him the benefit. I mean, they're really going at him in a nice, nice way, but still, you know, they... uh, well, I guess we'll get into what each character kind of, you know, c- comes up and says to him and, and how they react to Saffron. Yeah, I mean, there were character moments, but I thought everybody acted pretty true to the character as I already know them now. That's that's what I mean by not character building. Mm. I, I, you know, there was nothing in there where it's like, oh, that's the way this person is. Everybody kind of acted the way I would expect them to. 
but they were, you know, presented with something that's not a run-of-the-mill situation. So you, you, know, you did get to see some interesting character moments. They all got to give a little bit of acting to it because they, you know, they, there was a little bit of meat to it. But again, nothing unexpected, nothing groundbreaking as far as I was concerned. The character that I in, I've been enjoying watching, I've, I, that I've latched onto, and I like the fact of the way they're developing him, is Wash. He, uh, he, you know, he's he's presented from the start as you know this extremely simple childlike guy. You know, he's sitting there playing with his dinosaur uh, <laughs> toys in the first episode. But the more you see him, the more you see that underneath the surface he is a grown-up. He is an adult. And there's moments there, you know, when, when, when Saffron's trying to seduce him or when Zoe's getting jealous that his, his reaction and his comments show more, you know, more depth than what they give you initially. And I like that. And then he's, he's become kind of my, my breakout character for this show. There's a lot more to him than you think there's going to be to him. When you see him in the pilot episode, especially when Saffron sabotaged the ship and it's him and Kaylee that are looking at it and going, wow, she's in a really good job here. So he's like <laughs> a guy who really knows what he's talking about, which you don't perhaps get from the early ones. But yeah, I like Wash as well. Wash is one of my favorite characters. My main problem with this one is it is it's very funny. There's some great dialogue in it. My favorite being, well, my days of taking you seriously are rapidly approaching a middle. But. <laughs> When you actually sit and think about it, the story makes no sense. So Saffron just waits on backwater planets for random people to show up to hit them for their cargo that then she's going to sell to a chop shop for them to cut the vessel up. And then she just flies off in a shuttle to work. But, but her plan like a very intricate no plan. It's like, yeah. But yeah, her, at the end, when, when he confronts her on it... When he confronts her on it, basically she lets she kind of, without ever saying the words, lets it be known that she's doing it for the challenge. It's not really for the money. No, no, I get all all of that's fine, but how does she pick her targets? Does she just land on backwater planets out of alliance control and just wait for somebody to show up who's potentially a challenge for her? Wouldn't I it kinda, make more sense to target somebody? I kind, I kind, well, I think she does target somebody, but she has to wait for somebody to be around to target. So she just waits there for them. Yeah. And okay. I, I, but, but I mean, the one thing about it, and, and they don't explain is, does she always do it on this same planet because she knows that's the ritual that she can get away with doing it with? Or does she find a different planet and come up with a different ritual and take advantage of that planet's things? I, I think it's more the latter, that she finds a way to manipulate the situation. She's, she's you know, uh, for lack of a better word, a con man and enjoys the con. So she finds a situation to put herself in for that. Oh, and and the payoff con, is getting the, the ship to go through this net where it gets disabled and chop-shopped. I, I don't mind her being a con man, con woman, and I don't mind that she's come, she can come up with this on the fly. It just kind of, like, like Bill just said, it, it seems incredibly coincidental that all of this should come together on this backwater planet where she obviously didn't know Mal was going to be. So is that her plan? She just waits and sees who shows up and goes, all right, he'll make a good target. Well, did or you has think she that... specifically targeted them because Serenity is worth chopping up, as he's pointed out in the episode? Yeah, I don't know if she targeted the ship or if she targeted the planet and then waited for somebody to come along. But I'm not sure that that's all that important to the plot. 
Well, it's not, which is why I mention it now. It's get that out of the way because that makes no sense. But once you rule with it, this is a really fun show. Well, do you think that the that the preacher that the settlers were in on it? No. Or were they? No. Well, then that that's really a. I mean, then she had to, you know, put herself into their whole society and sit there and wait. That does kind of seem. Well, either very, that's, what I'm, that's what I mean. How long has yeah. she been there to be? I, I think it's one one of two society. things. Unless she says she came from out of town from another village or whatever. But I think e- either she found the planet and then says, "Okay, I'm going to come here and I'm going to wait here till wait till some ship comes along because ships come along all the time, and then I'm going to seduce somebody," or they were aware of Firefly being in the area and said, "We're going to wait till they land on a planet where we can manipulate them, and then we're going to do it there." So it's one or the other, and I'm not like again, I'm not really sure that it, it affects my viewing of the episode. Either one is kind of acceptable to me. Yeah, it is a little of a nitpick. I mean, I wasn't – and I didn't even think about this until, you know, because analyzing – I didn't think about show. it because I didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but we, that's the whole idea of doing this this show is we're supposed to care about these things. So I'm not going to say that I'm right in not caring. But I, I it just – it didn't even occur to me. I, I just thought, yeah, whatever. She's there, you know. You could play uh, root beer rag while she's doing it and we, we got the sting going. So she goes to the Luke Skywalker School of Planet. Well, it seems like every planet we're, we're experiencing now is is you know some sort of analog of the uh, you know the 1800s in America. No, I just meant that she goes to to like we'll we'll show up at Jabba's palace and you'll all be there. And if we're lucky, this Latin at just the right moment. And then if we're really really lucky, this Latin. But hey, it'll be fine. Well, she she's part of. Her character, as they show, is that she enjoys the seduction, and that's her special skill, and she does it all the time. This isn't something where it's just once in a while. I mean, she did it to to Mal. She came pretty close to doing it to Wash, and she came pretty close to doing it to Inara as well. And and, and you got the impression that if the uh, alarm hadn't gotten off, she would have done done it to Inara. No, I think Inara knew right away. She knew. Yeah, no, Inara but- was playing her. Yeah. Yeah, because when the alarm goes off and they have that whole exchange, you're good. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm still not 100. See, she she did not know about the lipstick thing because obviously she kissed Mal when she shouldn't have. And yeah, but uh, I'm not but sure she, it wouldn't I'm not sure it wouldn't have reached that point even in the double seduction thing going on. But I I think she didn't even if she knew about the lipstick, she wasn't thinking because she was overcome with concern for Mal, which is why she was hiding the fact. And that that was probably everybody the everybody else. That was probably the one character development or character building that they did was to to make her feelings for Mal just a tad more clear. Not that you know, not that you didn't know it yet already, but you know, you, you've had kind of more of like a moonlighting thing going on between them, and now she's she's made it a little bit more overt. Well, that was my only issue with it in in general. For the most part, this is phenomenally entertaining. I particularly like the teaser. Well, I hired myself a powerful, ugly woman, and it's Mal. <laughs> you are not the man I married a year ago. <laughs> so the the dialogue is just perfectly on point throughout the entire episode. All of it is brilliant. I love. There's a really realistic bit in the middle of it where Zoe and Wash end up arguing over saffron, and Wash is when does it stop being funny? Yeah, <laughs> which is very true to life. 
I felt and, that was really good. And that, that's what I was talking about with, with Wash being somewhat more, you know, somewhat more sophisticated than, than we were originally led to believe. That, you know, he, he sees the nuances of his marriage and his relationship. It's not that he's just this simple guy plodding along. You know, he understands that things get more complex. And he kind of understands that he doesn't understand women, which is kind of the conclusion we all come to eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all the... I think the the exchange of dialogue that that actually made made me laugh out loud because I had forgotten it was um, when Shepard Book and I've got the quote here and says, "If you take sexual advantage of her, you're going to burn at a very special level of hell." And he pauses, a level that a level they reserve for child molesters and people who talk at the theater. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then he walks away and mouths there and then he pokes his head around and he says, "The special hell." And I was like, huh? everybody's on him about, you know, being nice, you know, st- stop being so mean. And now books on him about her. Uh, it was it was just great. Not to be overly maudlin, but that brings back memories of our friend Sean mm. with the when we did the X-Men review and he talked about having to chew out the woman who kept talking through the movie. <laughs> this yeah. special hell. <laughs> they're all they're all really good in this. I think I agree with Bill a little bit. They're all a little bit mean to Mal at the beginning when he clearly has no idea what's going on. And, he and he is trying so he to would be have supported him. He is trying to take the high road because if he wasn't, he would. You know, even she says at the end, you know, most men within a couple of minutes are totally into me. Yeah, and, and he, I, he's I love trying that to little, resist. I love the little aside to um, to to Jane where he just leans into. Him goes um so uh how drunk was i last night <laughs> jane's like i don't know i passed out but you know it, it's interesting when you think about the the seduction aspect of it you know because clearly mal is trying to resist but he has other than his unspoken love for anara he has no, nothing to hold him back there's no reason why he's tied down and can't consummate this relationship well, I think it's his own personal. Um... Yeah, it's it's his own personal morals that he feels like mm-hmm. he's taking advantage of somebody who's, you know, unsophisticated. At least that's his thought as it, as it's going on. But he has no reason in his own personal life to stop him from doing it. Whereas Wash has Zoe, and that's the only thing that probably keeps him from succumbing to it. So you know, the, we're definitely being presented with these people as, you know, having a higher moral base. With the possible exception of Jane. Yeah, who offers him Vera in exchange for Saffron. <laughs> Vera being his prize gun. And, and I, I like the scene with the gun too. First of all, that the fact that he you know, he basically says it needs oxygen to fire. So they mm-hmm. have to wrap a, a, a suit around it to, to get the oxygen for it. And when it fires, no sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the continued non-use of sound in the space scenes in this because there's a certain element of there's a there's a believability and a realism to it that isn't necessarily around in other sci-fi shows and it adds something to firefly especially given that serenity doesn't have any weapons anyway so you're never going to have a millennium falcon swooping banking diving fighty bit with serenity because it doesn't have any weapons on it so i like that they're continuing to do that it's like they've not bowed to network pressure to put sound effects in space and in most shows, like in Star Trek, when they do add the, the explosion sound effects, it's fine. It, you know, I, I understand it's not true to reality, but I, I enjoy, I, you know, I, I enjoy the effect. But it's because most shows do add that, 
that it makes it makes this one more you know stand out more because you're used to that explosion sound in, in movies and in TV. So when they go with the silence, it makes it more effective. Mm. And it, it works exceptionally well in this. I really do like it. I like I like Saffron in this one. Yes. I like that she's she manipulates everyone depending upon the scene that she's in, and she's really very good at it. Because the, there's the brilliant bit when she's trying to seduce Wash, and then she realizes that he's loyal to his wife, so she just rolls her eyes and kicks him in the head. Well, like he, you know, he, tur- <laughs> he turns the other way, and as soon as he turns the other way, she rolls her eyes. She's like, oh, God, enough already. She's, think- uh, it's, it's hard to believe she's the same woman from uh, Mad Men. See, I've never seen Mad Men. I remember her in life. She was good in that. That I haven't seen. I, I watched, I guess, the first four seasons of Mad Men before I... You know, before a fly flew by and I got distracted and haven't watched anymore. Ooh, shiny. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but, I, you know, but she, she plays a, a much more. Not that she's. Not that she doesn't have you know some some vulnerabilities on Mad Men, but she's you know for the 1960s when that show takes place, she's a very strong and independent woman. So to have her playing this you know this waif, damsel in distress. Innocent. I mean, I know it's all pretend, but for her to play that part, it's just very contrary to what she played in in Mad Men, and she's she's really showed some acting chops when you compare the the two parts, and she's just you know sexy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's an interesting look to Saffron as well in an era of television where all women have to look like little boys. You've suddenly got this very full figured woman on on screen, which is nice, which makes yeah. a nice change. There's, there's um, also, I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was only going to say because Zoe clearly is quite curvy as well, but Joss Whedon apparently told Jules State to put weight on. In contrast to the other Hollywood executives, who will keep telling people to get skinnier and get skinnier because he was fed up of working on Buffy where they were all skinny. So Jules State apparently had to put a bit of weight on to play. Um, I've forgotten her name, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. And but but Kaylee's got you know. She's got a nice look about her too. All the women have a have a certain sex appeal to them. So. I, can't, I was only watching this last night um, in preparation for this, and I was looking at Inara, and it was like, how old was she when she did this show? Yeah, I know. She's in the new Deadpool movie. She's I think she's about think she's about forty now. Wow. Right. Oh, I don't right. know exactly, but I'm putting her in that range. So she and was she's, her, she's so preserved she, very, very well. For a forty-year-old, she still looks young. She's forty now. Wow. I think I'm, I'm like I said. I'm, I'm speculating. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe we'll have to look that up. I will look that up right now. <laughs> well, I know she's pregnant with, uh, or no, they had the child now with had Ben. It, yeah. She's ben. Oh, she's, she's thirty-six now. What? All right. She's born in nineteen seventy-nine. So she was 23 when they did Firefly. See, I'd, I'd have pegged her at 19 when they did Firefly. Because mm, she was on, she, uh, again, going back to another show, she was on uh, Stargate SG-1. She was also on V. Yeah. She's on yes. Homeland. Oh. And she was in Deadpool. She, she's she's got quite the career. <clears throat> yeah, everyone who was in Firefly has had quite an impressive career post-Firefly. She she played the the alien leader in the remake series of V. Mm-hmm. She just looked especially young in last night's ep- in this ep- last night's episode from thirteen years ago in this episode. 
that I was like, was she only about 19 when she was doing this? But, I don't know, 23, 19, it's not that far removed, is it? But even though she looks so young, she still pulls off... Uh, she she gives the uh, what's the word? She gives the impression the, of being worldly. Yes, she gives the impression of age of wisdom, being being worldly. Yeah, she she definitely does, and and that's that's one of the appeals of her character. Even even though you know it's it's an interesting thing the way she's presented, and especially that you know Mal doesn't you know doesn't approve of her lifestyle. But he only, he only doesn't approve of her lifestyle because he fancies her. Yeah. You never get any. You don't get that he he disapproves of companions. Yeah, it's not the moral high ground. It's the jealousy. Yeah. But she she you know she plays that part very well. Everybody in the show does. So I, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying my run through on this show. Uh, yeah. I, it's worth mentioning. Wikipedia has a uh, a deleted scene that they make reference to. I don't know if it made its way to the DVD or not, because I'm watching on Netflix. But uh, it says, River confounds the crew with one of her seeming whimsies, this time demanding that Book marry her and Simon. When Simon tries to explain that they can't get married because they're siblings, River gets very upset and questions his love for her. Mal and Saffron then come in, and River accuses Saffron of being a thief, though River says she never saw Saffron stealing food. This indicates River's knowledge of Saffron's true nature, though at this point Saffron is still playing the subservient wife. After they leave, River takes a pillow from nearby and puts it in her dress at the stomach, stating that she and Simon have to get married now. I'm in the f- I'm in the family way. <laughs> Joss Whedon said on the DVD commentary, so apparently it is in the DVD, that this was one of his, the cast's and the crew's favorite scenes, but they had to edit it out due to time constraints because the scene was cut river has no lines in this episode hmm. i was thinking river and simon are burly in this one well, Which, definitely it, i remember seeing simon i don't even remember seeing river yeah because it's it, i do wonder if that's why this was picked to be third or fourth in the urine because they very much the network seemed to very much play down the river simon story we'll move so, along so far, we don't want to we don't yeah, want to jump ahead here if you're watching this on network television, River and Simon are like, who are these people and why are they on board? <laughs> right, I've just dug the DVD box set out. There are deleted scenes on the DVD, oh, well, but they're on the last disc. Yeah. So uh, whether you know whether they've they've got them from this particular episode, I don't oh, so know. Maybe... It just says deleted scenes. Oh, so they didn't reintegrate them with the episode. You just have to watch. No, Josh Whedon's not a big fan of director's cuts like that. He thinks the mm-hmm. one that you release should be the director's cut. Yeah, but most most DVD releases on TV series will have the deleted scenes on the menu for the individual episode that it's deleted from. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, if you put if you pop in one disc, there'll be four episodes on there. And if you click on one of the episodes, mm. it'll then give you a menu for that episode, and it'll have the deleted scenes from that episode. That's usually been my experience with deleted scenes. So I guess this one, yeah, they, just, they just put them all at the yeah, end of the series. They've just whacked it all on the last disc, yeah. Which it does make more sense to have the deleted scenes with the episode, but I suppose this was the early days of DVD box sets, wasn't it? 2003? I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess mm, yeah. early in, in the popularity of them. Mm. 
Now maybe they need. Well, I, I don't even know if they've come out with it on Blu-ray, but then they might repackage. Yeah, it. yeah, it's out on Blu-ray. I mean, you would it's think it's got this, some extra special features on Blu-ray, but I don't have the Blu-ray. No, well, if they if they have it at a, at a nice discount, I may pick it up one day. Although, if you've got it on Netflix, you've got it in HD. So, what I what I don't like about Netflix is the whimsy with which it can be taken off at any given moment. Yeah. Mm. That's See, that's the one aspect of it. It's not like okay, it's on Netflix. We know it's gonna be on forever. I mean, I don't even have Doctor Who on Netflix anymore, and I have to figure out how to continue my viewing on that without having to yeah. go out and buy you know hundreds of dollars worth of DVDs. Yeah, because they're not cheap. Because you know we started watching, and you know we're, we're we still have a lot to watch, but you know we we have been watching, and uh, then all of a sudden it's gone, and I don't like that. Well, they lost no. basically all the BBC shows because the BBC is starting its own uh, streaming network. Oh, right, is that what they're doing? That's what that's what the story was here. Uh, you know, the one the one show that I lost on that, but I I have the complete series on DVD is uh, Black Adder. Right. But otherwise, uh, you know, it, to me it was a disappointment with Doctor Who because it took me years and years and years before I finally started watching it, and now that I'm watching it, they took it off. What did you get up to? Uh, I'm trying to remember which season we we were with. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Kilgrave is uh, <laughs> is is the Doctor. All right, so you're still in the David Tennant. Era. And we ha- we have the new companion. It's been a little. Martha while. or Donna? Don- uh, Arthur becomes the com- becomes a companion. I oh Martha. Martha. Well, Donna's the uh, the bride. Yeah. Okay, so no, we're we're with Martha now. We we had one episode right. of of Donna, and then right. we moved on she to comes Martha. Back. And we 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 pretty much I think we finished that season and we were ready to start the next season and then they they pulled it. Oh, what a bummer! So, like I said, it, it, and that was that was our treadmill show. My Melissa and I were uh, going downstairs after dinner and putting it on, and then we'd each take a turn on the treadmill while we were watching. Oh, that's a shame. I'm hoping they don't pull this off while people are watching, while they uh, listen along to us. That'd be rough. Although the DVD, I think I've seen the Blu-ray for less than a tenner. Okay, then it's... For less than a ten, then it's worth getting. Mm, so it's it's not overly expensive. It doesn't include Serenity. All right, well, that Although, could be a separate purchase. That's acceptable. Well, it's it's just Serenity's a separate net, um, studio as well. Oh, okay. Serenity's universal, whereas the film is Fox. The series is Fox, sorry. And I, I have to, you know, my, my, my first thought is, oh, you know, they could, uh, you know, they could still always get back together for, for you know, another movie. Because you know, the, the likelihood of getting back together for a series or even a season of a series is slim. Mm-mm. But, you know, I'm thinking, oh, they could get back together for a movie. But I'm already putting my thoughts on the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied with the end of this and I'm going to want more. Which you never know. No, I, I don't think you will. When you incorporate the film into it, it's um, it's a satisfying ending. But I do get greedy, to be quite honest with you. That when when these shows, I'm I'm very rarely the type of person who says, "Okay, that's enough. Don't do any more." Because I love the way it ended, and I don't want you to to soil that ending. Uh, I'm I'm usually like, "No, you can do more." Okay, it's something I liked. I'm good with it. Do more. 
I, it depends. I'm on a case by case basis with that. I would have liked more of this, but Serenity gave me enough. And the same with Veronica Mars. Veronica Mars ended in such a way that I'm like, oh, we don't need any more. And and the further removed we get from it, the more I don't want them to bring Magnum back. I think yeah, I think we're at the point where I don't want Magnum back because I don't know that I don't know that I want to see Magnum at you know mid sixties to almost seventy years old. Mm. See, yeah. I, that, that's not my. I don't mind that because people get older. I know, but I don't necessarily need to see him in that. I want you know to me, I, I want to think of. I always thought of Thomas Magnum as kind of eternally youthful. I know, but there is that idea, though, that he comes back and he takes over running Robin's Nest and his daughter becomes a private detective and he essentially becomes Higgins. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I just like that idea so much. I like it, but I don't need to see it, which, which is weird because I'm just saying I always want more of things I like and I always liked Magnum, so, so I should be saying, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> well, but but, I, but I'm kind of satisfied, like I said, with the thought of even though he matured at the end of the show and that was kind of the closure to the show – I'm I'm good with the fact that he still has kind of this sense of eternal youth about him because even at that point he was going back into the into the navy which is more of a young man's game anyway. Mm. So I'm I'm kind of good with that. I still feel like he has that eternal youth going. And I'm I kind of enjoy Tom Selleck on Blue Bloods. I do watch that regularly. Yeah, yeah, we've just picked uh we just start, started to watch that too. Uh, uh, we're all actually into it. The thing about that show is, uh, what's his name, uh, Marky Mark's brother, Donnie, uh, yeah. solves every major crime in New York. <laughs> With, and, and, and his and sister he always prosecutes has a, it. And he always has a female partner. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. It's just kind of weird. It's like, but it, it's, it's every major crime. It doesn't matter what borough it's in. It doesn't matter what the nature of the crime is. He's on it. And, yeah, they don't have jurisdiction in TV shows. Yeah, there's no issues with that. And, but, and then it's funny because the, the, sister, the sister who works for the DA's office is the prosecutor on every one of the cases, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Eddie, but we've traveled away from Mrs. Reynolds. Yeah, I guess we should give our ratings on this one, right? Oh, um, yeah. I just had one more note real quick. Okay. Um, right after when Mal first, you know, when, when Saffron says, I'm your wife, the look before they go to the credits going to Nathan Fillion's acting that he gives this hard blink that was like that was like a visual gulp you could hear like <laughs> just from him blinking just this hard what what the heck is going on I have a wife I I just thought it was really good it was cute yeah. it was cute eh. no I said yeah uh, oh I, I think you said eh <laughs> I think everybody's performance in this one's really good. Everybody's on their air game, especially, you know, even the younger ones who don't have much experience, like Marina Baccarin, when the minute she says, I'm your wife, her face just changes mm. and becomes really hard because she's just as infatuated with Mal as he is with her. But like Paul said, we've got that whole moonlighting thing to drag out for five seasons. And her, her face so every- becomes just as hard in a different way when she says, I'm Mal Reynolds' widow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So she's she's re- so they're all really good in this one. I love Jane. I love Jane just t- pawing her. Why she's trying to explain <laughs> who she's just kind of like feeling the fabric of her dress and stroking her shoulder. I love all of that. All that stuff that Adam Baldwin does in the background. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we had Shepard did the voiceover at the beginning of the uh, 
of the show. This I think was this is like the because we've had a few different. Uh, I think Mal did it the first couple, and then yeah, because uh, of the messing around with the broadcast order, you get different saga cells at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think Books was the first one, and then Mal's is the second one. So if we've seen Mal already, it's because they've messed around with the transmission order. Yeah. And next episode, we don't even have the voiceover. No, we just go straight into the ship. Mm-hmm. I thought we had it. Nope, because well, I, I think... checked. Right. Because of, because I rolled it back because I was curious. Like wait, because I made a note of it in this episode, and then next episode I was like, oh, it doesn't. There's no there's no voiceover. All right. I thought we did have it. My mistake. But anyways, I don't. It's not on the DVD at all. Or it's not on my DVD. No, oh, you got the bum DVD. So we uh, time to rate this thing. Yeah, go on. Why not? All right. Like I said, I I thought this played like a good one of the better episodes of TNG in my in my way of looking at it. One of the episodes where we know the crew, where we kind of have a sense of familiarity, and not everything has to be spelled out for us. And you can get into those character moments, and you can rely on the actors to convey their feelings with how they respond to things and their facial expressions and their body uh, language instead of having to exposit all sorts of things. And that was just a welcome feeling in the show. It really just made me comfortable to sit back and enjoy it and largely with a smile on my face, taking it all in. I thought the acting was all top-notch. Pretty much everybody on it, including uh, Christina Hendricks as the guest star on it, I thought she she did the, you know, the the sensitive waif to the, you know, bored uh, seductress to to the you know the the con woman uh, role very very well. Uh, she played sexy, she played annoying, she played nasty. She did everything that she needed to do in the show. So, I and I also thought the plot was you know the story was well written. Even even with the point that Andy you know made about how you know it's a little questionable as to exactly how she goes about her, this business, uh, I still enjoyed every pretty much every aspect of it. Uh, it. It wasn't groundbreaking, but it was just solid. And I'm going to say 4.0. I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that was I think it was really good. Yeah, if you examine it too much, you're a little bit. So this is her plan. But the dialogue's brilliant, the characters are brilliant, the acting's brilliant. It's frequently laugh-out-loud funny in places. And then in typical Whedon fashion, it'll turn it around and be dramatic. It's really, really a good episode. One of the best. I'm going to go for four as well. The only thing that prevents me giving it a five is I know the best is still just a couple of episodes away. The best is yet to come and babe. It's da, 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 da. best. The Frank Sinatra of Keep Him Flying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, we're so boring because I'm just going to agree. And this is also a 4.0. This is a good episode for all the reasons that you guys have stated. And and like Andy, I I, I chuckled out loud. Uh, you know, it was it was just it was. I guess this really is a example of a of a Josh Whedon ish. Or a Whedon Universe show with the with the dialogue and the characters, and it was just all around fun and good. Four point 
Right, and that right. brings Falls us to the cl- then. that brings us to the close of our Mrs. Reynolds. And what well, do we have got coming no up? Fear. Hmm? Have no fear about our Mrs. Reynolds. Yes. What do we have coming up, Andy? Next time. Should we all sing a ballad? Should we all sing the hero of Canton, the man they call Jane? Or should we just take a trip to Jane's town? Where we could all drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> all right. See you all next time around. Goodbye. Bye. Paul, I swear by my pretty flowered bonnet, I will end you. (laughs) Keep on flying. A Firefly podcast is a Two True Freaks presentation and is hosted by Shepard Bill Robinson, Paul Spataro, and Andrew Leyland. All the music and sound clips used in the show is copyright Fox Broadcasting and is available to buy on the Firefly soundtrack by Greg Edmondson. If you like to buy that soundtrack, maybe you could do it through the Amazon link that is on the tutufreaks.com website. It costs you nothing extra, but throws a few pennies in our tip jar, which helps us to continue to produce content like this. Every episode of Keep Flying is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. And remember, find a ship, find a crew, keep flying. <laughs>